This is the Blue Man Group. This is the Blue Man Group. This is the Blue Man Group. I'm Ron Ecstasy. This is the Blue Men Group. I'm joined today, as always, by my co-hosts, Devin Welsh and John Biedrin. What up? What Lads? up? What up? Uh, let's start this uh, beautiful little show we have today with uh, some compliments. And let's, let's keep it quick. Devin? I was going to do it, but please. You oh, go last okay. today. Oh, I thought you were Ron. saying I should go first. Uh, love oh, the okay. sweater. Um, uh, Ron's wearing a nice sweater. Um, he's looking good. And John is rocking a mustache for the first time that I've ever seen a mustache on his face. So I like John's mustache. Looking good. Thanks, guys. It feels good to have one. I feel like my age is appropriate. It's like a big oh, caterpillar. Yeah. It does kind of look like a caterpillar. And it's also venomous, so you got to watch out. Oh, Jesus. Um, Devin, love the polo. You look very business casual. Maybe you're ready to go like on the golf course or play some tennis. You're very country club right now. You're yeah. ready to make deals. I love it. I'm ready. Ron, mm-hmm. Western U, great sweater. I knew a friend. I had a friend who went there, uh, and it was you. That's right. So I'm, I'm respectful to that, to your alma mater. Thank you. I uh, spent one year there, and it was uh, the worst year of my life. <laughs> um, compliments, Dev. I think uh, again, you you just you look younger than you you appear, but older and wiser than we know. Uh, John, I think that um, I'm always worried about your microphone just falling off the table and rolling down the stairs and then into the street and then gets crushed by a car, but. <laughs> Not today. You're holding on to it nicely, and I think I need to stop to... recording at the top of a walk-up. Yeah, yeah. I think at the you're top doing... of a rickety ladder. Yeah, <laughs> I think you're doing great, uh, and you look spectacular. Again, Thank this you. is probably the most handsome audio podcast. Um, <laughs> but you have to take our word just, for it. I just want to know, uh, as we are recording this, as we record on Thursdays, um, last night, Wednesday, was the first day of Hanukkah. Um, that is eight days of uh, joy and celebration. Um, other people in the world celebrate Christmas. As we know, it's a <laughs> religious holiday where Santa Claus uh, was um, stuck in a cave and uh, he <laughs> later was pinned to the wall with some nails and... Um, Presents. So, uh, what do you guys want for Christmas? Just, uh, just yeah, uh, I'm kind of. Uh, I don't know if I want anything for Christmas this year. Ugh, come on! Wow, that's the worst. Because <laughs> it's worst. like then you still have to figure out what to get you. Yeah, I also it's like uh, for the sake of the show, um, you kind of just killed the bit. Um, <laughs> but please go on. <laughs> Yeah, maybe John John and Ron, you can tell 
tell the listeners what you want for Christmas. I'll think about it. Well, I want for Christmas is um, <laughs> probably <laughs> gift cards. Uh, $50 denominations and up would be good. Uh, I shop at CVS a lot. Um, <laughs> any sort of uh, you know gift card towards food is always helpful. I kind of yeah. I've gotten to the age now where gift cards would be a great present. Yeah, I um no I truly like I like I like uh, being older now obviously and then just being like yeah I really don't care what you get me and, or I'm like please get me socks or like the good socks or like <laughs> a nice socks. pair of underwear <laughs> like I'm not looking for like Nintendo sixty four anymore right yeah I do need. I need some clean underwear, so maybe some clean, clean underwear. underwear for, maybe for you Christmas. could wash. Your- you should just wash them, man. <laughs> uh, I don't know. <laughs> um, de- uh, fun, fun little side anecdote. Um, Devin, I've stayed with Devin before uh, with him at his at his place, and uh, once I forgot my underwear at his place and received a uh, visual text message of Devin in my underwear saying, "Are these yours?" And, <laughs> yeah, uh, and then. I- I said yes. <laughs> Me trying on the underwear that you left behind changed my underwear game completely. Really? After, yes. after I tried the that pair of underwear that Ron had, I mm-hmm. I got that type of underwear. That's so funny. And now I exclusively wear that type of underwear. What, what type of Same. underwear was it? It was like boxer briefs. And what were you wearing before? I was wearing briefs. You were like, that's so funny that you just, when was this? What year? uh this was what two years, years ago? ago yeah yeah it's it's like you're like plato's allegorical man who like stumbles out of the cave yeah <laughs> you see the sun for the first time just I like know. Santa boxer Claus. briefs already i know so much more comfortable it changed everything for me yeah um, i agree just that that little bit of coverage on the leg goes a long way i will tell you that down yeah yeah it so helps from like bunging. a cotton thong yeah exactly yeah so i agree that was a that was a special moment when you left behind your underwear. <laughs> yeah, and, and and I uh I I know some other people who I've uh kind of pilled on that underwear as well. Um friend of the pod and listener, I know uh he's listening Adam. Um uh we we you may know him as Press Dog. Uh Adam P. Yep, he also uh Shout uses out. the underwear that I uh that I use just based on uh, my recommendation, and he said that he got them. And I don't want to—I don't want to put words in his mouth, but it changed his life. <laughs> more and more people are trying it, and I feel like we should—we should probably try to solicit a sponsorship from an underwear company for this oh, show. Definitely, I Absolutely. would love that. Yeah, that would it's be a good Christmas gift for us is a sponsorship. Yeah, um, my my dad used to buy underwear from uh, the pharmacy, like just the cheapest things ever that were like <laughs> made of like I don't know wax paper or something like that. Mark, and, only two bucks. Disposable yeah. underwear. And uh, the 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 brand name was called Alan Solly, and I used to make fun <laughs> of him so much. I was like talking about like his buddy Alan. <laughs> <laughs> and, then he, and then he would like he, i don't know alan solly was like a guy in in the orbit of uh, my family he's like our, <laughs> our uh extended family member um anyway See, alan solly maybe made a deal with the devil where he wanted to become a successful clothing salesman mm-hmm. and so then the devil granted him his wish to have a successful underwear company under his name alan solly yeah then after he died for the rest of eternity, he 
it was like POV from the underwear's perspective <laughs> of everyone that would wear his underwear. Yeah. And like full sensory experience, the smells, the tastes, the touch, the, you know, the sights. Yeah. And I People heard don't that... realize that underwear's eyes are on the inside. Yeah. Not <laughs> yeah. The underwear's face faces your genitalia. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Any yeah, Anybody like here? Uh... Eyes. There's one in the front half and there's one in the back half. So you can see both ends. Yeah. <laughs> Has anybody ever um, uh, worn a Speedo here? Like a legit no. Speedo? No. Never worn one. I uh, I wore one to the beach in Florida once, and I noticed that you get uh, a lot of like head nods. It's like you're a Corvette driver, you know. Like when when Corvette <laughs> drivers drive by another Corvette, they wave, and the, yeah. like uh, similar with a uh, speedo on, you're kind of getting like kind of a head nod and like ten four good buddy kind of that like, kind of you know uh, uh, nonverbal communication. I yeah. like the idea that you're on the beach wearing a speedo, and a whole bunch of other men wearing speedos are nodding at you like you're in a secret club, but really they're just hitting on you. <laughs> oh, it's it's called a yeah. secret club. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's definitely called a secret club. Yeah, you were just you were you were disrespectfully not following up on their <laughs> on their flirtation their advances. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's uh, that's that. So it seems like it's going to be a good Christmas for uh, underwear manufacturers and specifically our sponsor, Alan Solly. Um, <laughs> so please check out his underwear. I do wonder if they do. If they still make those. Anyway, let's go into This Week in History. 1958, America's first domestic passenger jet flight, a Boeing 707 carrying 111 passengers, travels from New York to Miami in about two and a half hours. Wow. 1958? Hmm. Is that what they said? Or 57? Yeah, 58. Yeah, 58. That's kind of... Uh, that's later than I thought, to be, to be quite honest. Yeah. And like, I'm an airplane guy, and... Let's 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 zoom out, okay? First flight, Wright Brothers, Kitty Hawk, North Carolina. One person, two people. Fuck, that's a good question. Um, <laughs> well, let, let's say one for now. Wright Brothers. Okay. So one was on the ground. Yeah. The other, Orville and uh, Wilbur. Yeah. <laughs> nice. Those are their names. What insane names? They Orville like and pigs. Wilbur. Yeah, exactly. It, yeah, it definitely reminds me of a. Uh, they're like uh, extras in uh, Babe, Pig in the City. Mm -hmm. um, Kitty Hawk, North Carolina, 1903, I believe. Maybe 1902. Let's say it was, it was uh, January 31st, uh, <laughs> 1902 <laughs> at 11.59. Um, so what is that? 1958 to 19... That's like 56 years. Yeah. Of what? What were we doing? I'll More tell you what we were planes. doing. We were taking... We're starting wars. Exactly. We we <laughs> wanted we wanted airplanes with guns on them. They saw those guys in North Carolina. And they're like, you know what we could do with those? <laughs> yeah, we could we could really. Yeah, well, I've got an idea. <laughs> it's like someone you, wanted to you... go to Florida, and then the other guy put his hand over his mouth. He's like, hold on. <laughs> yeah. 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 Exactly. One guy's like, we could go to Miami. <laughs> <And then> the, <laughs> other, the other guy's like, no, no, no. We could put guns on these and kill. <laughs> Germans. <laughs> and it wasn't until 1958 that the other brother finally got his wish. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to go to Miami. And would be used. Yeah, that they would be used for peaceful purposes and not, you know, the the brutal, you know, horrifying nightmare that the other brother had envisioned for <laughs> airplanes. Society. Yeah. Well, I um, you know, like um 
let's see, the Cuban Revolution, I believe, was um, 1957. So, you know, uh, the kind of casino freewheeling nature of old Cuba was no longer there. And many Cubans coming into uh, Miami, uh, not to uh, be, um, you know, uh, stereotypical about uh, anything in Miami, but lots of cocaine down there. Okay. So um, we've got the Wright brothers wanting to party in Miami and do cocaine. Um, but uh, unfortunately, they were, they were, uh, dead by then probably yeah 111 people in 1958 it's a big yeah job. can we get a uh, flight manifest and go through every single passenger please i would like to know yeah. their uh, net worth and uh job and how many cigarettes were smoked on that flight oh my god yeah so many because they were all nervous <laughs> yeah, oh yeah 111 like constantly... people each person probably smoked like five or six cigarettes throughout the flight chuff and darts yeah, and I mean, like, also, you've never, ever been on a plane. So, like, you you walk into the plane, you're like, what do we do? Like, do we... <laughs> that's, <laughs> yeah, that's why they have to have flight attendants to do, like, down the aisles with the hands. Yeah. Like, yeah nobody... that's, when, that's when the flight attendants' instructions were extremely novel and important. And you had to pay fucking attention. Now yeah, you got the headphones on. Who seatbelt. gives a fuck? Yeah, like, seatbelt. These people don't even know what a belt. fucking seatbelt is. Yeah, it's like, wait, what do you mean a seatbelt? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they're like, no, I have my own belt. Like, and there's like, no, 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 check this out. And they're like clinking the uh, pieces of metal together, just hitting them together. Like, yeah. Like uh, orangutans, you know, like <laughs> nobody knows how, what to do when you're in, in that thing. And like before the trip, people are like, what do we, like, what do we do when we're in the air? And it's like, drink. I don't, I don't know, yeah. smoke cigarettes and drink and like, Eat. I what know. i do normally when i'm sitting down yeah <laughs> get shit faced <laughs> yeah everybody in the 50s specifically 1958 everyone was just getting shit faced all times of the day um my grandfather was telling me about uh drinking and driving in the 50s was a big hit um everybody did it uh the cars were like six thousand pounds of steel that you could just drive drunkenly down a uh highway so Really, because there was no internet, um, cigarettes and booze were a main occupation, main uh, occupier of time. Let's say and occupation in some cases, and uh, yeah, alcohol, professional alcoholics. Um, yeah, so so nineteen fifty eight swizzle stick business. Nineteen fifty eight uh, air travel seven oh seven Boeing seven oh seven. Fun fact: John Travolta. John Travolta owns a seven oh seven, and uh, it's a uh, Qantas. Uh, 707 that he still flies and uh, unfortunately he also had a son named Jet who died. That's true. Yep. <laughs> um, I, I, I guess he was named after the 707. Or maybe it's one of those like chicken and the egg things. We're not really sure what came first. Jet or the Jet? John Travolta's son or um, Jet Liners. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. What's the origin of the word Jet? Ooh, that's nice. Jetty? I like the word Jetty. Um, I also think that, uh, yeah, so easy, easy way to spot a Boeing 707. Here's how I do it. Um, I've probably only seen one They're They're like not in, you'll never, never see a 707 anymore, but they have really, uh, thin, narrow, almost looks like a cannoli, uh, jets on the wings. And that's how you identify it. I can identify most aircraft by looking at the uh, actual jet turbines. Yeah, when I was 
traveling to Berlin, I sent I first I left out of Canada. I took a picture of the plane from where I was sitting and sent it to Mark, and he was like, "Oh, you're on a beautiful craft." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, you were. I, I think it was an, an Airbus A330A, maybe. Um, I know I flew to um, uh, Europe with Devin once, and we flew on a uh, A320, I believe, uh, Airbus. Uh, Airbus known for a joystick instead of a wheel, um, whereas the Boeing would have a wheel on that. Um, well, look out for cannolis in the sky, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, that's how you'll know that you're seeing a 707. But if yeah. it's a different type of Italian food, then it's something else entirely. <laughs> Possibly a completely different plane. I looked up jet, by the way. It means uh, spurt or a throw. Ah, yes, yes, yes. A throwing. What is the... Uh, I guess like eject. What is the entomology of that? Borrowed from French, from old French. No, mm. I, I, I uh, etymology, right? That's what I, yeah. Entomology is uh, oh, bugs. Entomology. I don't want to bug you, but. Um... <laughs> All right. Air yeah, we're Aer looking at a uh, photo of an Aer Lingus uh, 707. Filthy extremely filthy, filthy name for an Irish airline. Sounds vaguely like cunnilingus. Okay, let's uh, move on. Thank you, Air Travel. We've been uh, traveling by air since 1958. Um, I think that uh, Air Travel is uh, going to go... We're, we're not going to be traveling by air. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> <gonna go away. laughs> It's over. <laughs> so thank you very much, Airplanes, for your service. Um, we had a good run. We had a good time. <laughs> We got to yeah. see some sights. Got to got to fly above the clouds. Um, Again, it must have been such a fucking trip. Like first airplane, lo first flight, looking out the window yeah. when you're oh, smoking yeah. your ninth cigarette, just being like, "Can you believe this? Can you I wonder fucking how, believe this?" I wonder how quickly after passenger flights started that until someone had sex on the plane, because then that was probably an even bigger moment. Probably the that flight. I yeah, exactly. Say. That's yeah, the probably right. The next, the next, like day in history is like <laughs> December eleventh. The man first fucks in the air. <laughs> it's like Robert Wilson fucked at thirty six thousand feet. No one has ever done that before. I'm sure somebody at least masturbated in the bathroom. I was gonna say Orville probably jerked off on the first flight. Oh yeah, first, yeah. first flight exactly. Kitty Hawk. Yeah, it's like so windy on that beach in North Carolina. He's like, whatever. I got a little time. It, it, it's like the the flight itself lasted like 26 seconds or something like that he knocked one out in 16 seconds so he had 10 seconds to spare and that's when he brought it in for a landing <laughs> and uh they, they when they landed wilbur was like what's that on the uh wing there he's like i don't know he a bunch of uh loud goo a bunch of turbulence <laughs> it's like you were like 13 feet in the air man it's like i know <laughs> it's a whole the whole thing they didn't know. Well, nobody had ever been so high above the earth, though. So, I mean, it's true. You, know, you kind of have to believe yeah. whatever he says about what happened. The tallest building was uh, one story. So Yeah. yeah. And these, these were men from uh, Ohio, central Ohio, okay? They, they traveled all the way down to Kitty Hawk. By the yeah. way, you mentioned Kitty Hawk to those guys. You don't want to know the kind of responses they have. Anyway, yeah. they're disgusting brothers, and we shouldn't be celebrating the Wright brothers. They're <laughs> yeah. uh, disgusting sexual they're perverts. Perverts. Uh, Whacking and jacking in the air. I can't take it. Let's move on.
All right, everybody, let's uh, check out what's in the news. All right, today's uh, first piece of news that we have here is uh, a submission, a fan submission, actually. Uh, uh, thank you, um, Kyle, for submitting this. Uh, they want to know what our uh, opinions were on this, and this is in the parents and parenting section of The Guardian, which I never read because I'm not a parent, um, but I do have parents. Uh the headline here is, I wanted to meet a mate and have a baby without wasting time. The rise of platonic co-parenting. They're ready to start a family, but can't wait for the one. As mating sites boom under lockdown, we meet those hoping for a better way to raise a child. Yeah, so... Co-parenting? Yeah, I guess it's about people that want to have a child, want to raise a child together, but without the sort of messiness of actually having a romantic relationship. Yeah. Yeah. The article focuses on like three couples and they sort of like span the gamut of like people using these services or like this uh, arrangement. And so the whole, uh, yeah, to zoom out, the whole idea is, yeah, looking for love, um or, no sorry looking for to raise a child but you know not wanting to get into no the messiness of it no love so yeah no love no romance but uh child rearing with a partner a platonic Through, like partner. dating apps or not dating apps but like parenting apps yeah so they <clears throat> they link to a website called modem modemly 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 is I that it? it as my head okay yeah modemly m M-O-D-A-M-I-L-Y, right? Modamly.com, a new way to family. And it's very much like, kind of has like a startup vibe. It has like, yeah. So when, whenever you see these websites that show what kind of news media they've been in, like, yeah. click away because like New York Times, Wall Street Journal. Yeah, okay. We have to understand that like these news organizations are like posting everything and anything. Like they don't care. It's not yeah. like a good thing that Good Morning America is talking about this. No, it's like it's just like fluff. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's a total it, red flag. If it if, also has that that classic look of like somebody who's going to sell you expensive sheets or bedding supplies. Totally, right. and it's like future family opinionado. Like what? Get a personalized snapshot of your current fertility health. So basically, it's oh. like the the article. Yeah, that's. My first thought was reading the article and, and thinking about what it's about, you know, which is, yeah, a, a service to connect people that want to have a child together, but not necessarily do it in the traditional way, which is by having a romantic relationship that leads to having a child. Um, and it's, it's interesting. But then, yeah, then the second level thought that I had was, why is this here? Like, wh what are they trying to do? And I, I just realized that the entire article is kind of like a sales pitch to mm -hmm. get the app uh, yep. and trying to sort of sell people on this idea that you can have a family without the romance. Um, I don't know. Well, yeah, because the only there's two, there's three couples. The first one went on to one of the services and they were looking for like platonic parenting and then they ended up falling in love, which happens, I guess, or you can like su suggest 
in your profile that you're open to it. Right. And then there's another one where I'm, meet, I'm open to it. Met on another one and they were looking for a relationship, but then um, that didn't work out and they just had a child platonically and it worked out fine. And then there's the third one and the third one is they don't use a service and then it turns into like a nightmare <laughs> um, <laughs> because it's just like somebody, uh, Amy and a friend agree to platonically conceive via intercourse and the friend soon becomes attached to the idea of a relationship and then there's like a fraught like custody battle. Oh God. So the idea is sort of like lining this article to make it seem like you need to use this thing if you're like looking to have a safe, you know, parenting relationship. Right. Yeah. So first off, the article's way too long. Um, <laughs> I, I I think this is like uh, I <clears throat> I'm like under the impression that this is all like fake <clears throat> because oh, yeah. uh, the the website itself is just I I hate it. it it's so <laughs> it's so fucked. It, it's just like it doesn't seem right it seems as though something is completely off with this and they again like they're they're just hawking this app like they want you to be on this app i don't think many people are going to be on this app it can't mm -hmm. there, there can't be uh w w like network effect you know like an app can't work unless it has like tens of thousands of people on it and mm -hmm. i just don't feel as oh. though there's that many people on it this and it says seems like a moonshot kind of app well the article gives figures there's 120,000 people on coparents.co.uk 30,000 on modamily and 50,000 on pollen tree so there seems to be like you know it's probably all like professional people right uh, it seems to be a lot of british people or people in la which makes sense yeah um and yeah like co-parenting on its own as a concept to me well, totally fine. Whatever. Yeah. Well, what's confusing what, to me is that it's that like, too. is this? It it sounds it sounds just like being in a relationship. Yeah, it's, it sounds. I mean, yeah, they go through like what the, these relationships are, and they're like, sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't, and it's like that sounds like dating. Yeah, yeah it's like sometimes they fight. Yeah, <laughs> it's and it's like, like uh, yeah. So there, yeah, that that's the first thing is is what's the difference between co-parenting and yeah normal relationship, especially because. It's like they meet online, you know, they, or they meet somewhere they want to co-parent, they don't want to have the romance, and then they end up conceiving in the, quote, natural way. Right. So then, like, you meet this person, you have sex, and then, you know, the woman becomes pregnant, and then you raise the Wait. child together. What? Um, like, yeah, I just we'll don't understand. Off, Mike. I, Mike. I don't understand the novelty of it. Exactly. Yeah. I'm sorry for my weak joke, pretending to not know how sex works, but <clears throat> more proof of it being extremely fake. <clears throat> sorry. Um, their, their Instagram modamily, just like Instagram.com slash modamily, 223 followers. And it's huh. just like tons of, of uh, like... <laughs> Uh, what do you, what do you, stock images of babies? It's it's a it's a plant. It's like we need a profile. We need a social profile that shows that we're active, right? And it's just tons of these like uh, weird. Like there's photos of celebrities. There's like a random photo that just says like Native American donor needed. Like what? No no comments on it whatsoever. Some of these photos just like extreme stock photos that they found on Google Images that are not clear at all they're very uh i forget what the, that's called but like there's there's you, you can tell that it's been 
screenshotted 10,000 times. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, like uh, I found this one where Rachel Russo, a professional matchmaker, this is on their Instagram. And again, this photo is like, just looks like a they l- typed up woman on Google Images. I do that just, all the time. <laughs> yeah, just took the first one. Yeah. And then it said, again, they're leaning so heavily on this uh, media shit that doesn't really even matter. Rachel Russo, a professional matchmaker and modamily user, has been featured in five different publications as she searches for a co-parent. Okay, she's not. That she, it's a fake photo of a human, and there you don't have you don't have an organization. It just doesn't exist. Right. Well, it's also an expensive service. I guess it's like thirty bucks a month. Right. Um. So they're trying to like make it seem enticing by putting all these like professional photos. But the thing I like about this article is when they get into the gym the hidden gem in it i think is the story of one of these couples oliver and kate who embarked on uh plan a which is like looking for romance you can also Mm -hmm. specify plan b which is like platonic parenting Mm -hmm. but after a few dates and going to bed together quickly switched to the platonic option nothing blossomed romantically says oliver it was not entirely straightforward fearful of the prejudice that co-parenting families frequently face oliver and kate who are not their real names have to this day pretended to family and friends that they were in a relationship from when they met their from when they met until their son was 18 months old. So oh they God. like lied to everyone around yeah. them because Who they are were these people fearful of uh, co-parenting prejudice. And then yeah, and also the, that's, just that's to continue. Kate says, "quote Oliver moved into my spare room until we faked splitting up. It was a farce. Both <laughs> our families are quite conservative. Even now, only one or two friends know the truth. We should be able to live our lives." Whoops. We should be able to live our lives without fear of judgment, but the reality is that having a child through a one-night stand probably feels more acceptable to people than this. Yes. And it's what's what, so funny about that is that it's also like, that's what they did. Yeah. <laughs> they also, conceived naturally, then they decided it wasn't worth it, but they were going to have the kid anyways. Who are these, like, who is this judgment? I'm imagining them, like, walking down mayberry street or whatever and then just being like like people throwing like their juice on their face <laughs> i know like, like you co-parenting bastards this article like goes out of its way to sort of equate co-parenting with like um like surrogacy or like same-sex couples right uh and it's like it's not the, it's not the same thing at all right i mean it's like and it's not like there's no bias against like heterosexual couples raising children yeah yeah, I, yeah or right, being in relationships that are not loving in fact that's maybe the most normal relationship you can be in yeah exactly, exactly. right i agree 100%. i know it's kind of like freaky when the two when the parents are both in love you know for the entirety of their child's you know adolescence yeah but um, again like the uh the the concept of co-parenting i'm not necessarily like i have no real qualms about that because i think like in a way like think about many 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 people are like you know raised by grandparents and parents and aunts and uncles and mm-hmm. family friends and that kind of you know you got that like person who's like yeah that's uncle uncle steve but he's mm-hmm. he he uh breaks into cars with my dad you know like he's not really he's not part of the family but uh yeah uh yeah you know that's that's how it goes and i think that that's fine and probably uh in in the in the words of uh hillary clinton it takes a village yeah. so right. um and what, what I think is going on here is basically the Madamily PR people are manufacturing a problem yep. that the app solves. Yep, exactly. And, and like, I just, it just seems like the more that 
apps are the go-between in our intimate private lives the worse off we'll be mm-hmm. and i feel like the the madamily app kind of trying to sort of squeeze into people's lives in such a way where you need to use it in order to find somebody to have a kid with it just seems extremely unnecessary yeah i but, agree and that sort of is a perfect segue for the next article we're going to talk about mm-hmm yeah, is, but uh, just before we uh, get there, I'd like to thank our our second sponsor, Modamly, for their <laughs> app. I uh, encourage you to download it. Use promo code Blumen. All right. Um, <clears throat> our next, uh, yeah, next next thing in the uh, in the, the 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 news, Japan to fund AI matchmaking to boost birth rate. Well, right now, yeah, it's, it seems to not really exist at a full scale. It's like they're the. the uh, Boosting the use of AI tech is one of its latest efforts. Next year, the government plans to allocate local authorities 2 billion yen, or about $20 million US, to boost the birth rate. That's a lot. Right. Ja- they lot always say Jap- Japan has a really low birth rate. It seems to be like a common... Yeah, well... Every year, they seem to... Everyone likes to comment on how... <laughs> people have a lower and lower birth rate. I mean, I'll, I can help out. If they need help, I can... Um, I can go over there and do some stuff. We should pitch in. Yeah, it's sort of like a, like Peace Corps. Yeah, exactly. Um, it, it's an interesting problem. Like, the problem being that young people are not ha- are not getting into romantic relationships and and are not having children. Like, it seems like a problem with um, a complex oh, set of causes. I, I, I agree. That, and and I mean, in that, this article, BBC article, they uh, they point out it says. This this person Sachiko Horaguchi, uh, who is a um, sociocultural medical anthropologist at Japan's Temple University, pointed to a recent report which which suggests a link between lower income levels and the loss of interest in romantic relationships among young Japanese adults. Yeah. So it seems as though mm-hmm. like I mean you know if you're if you don't have any money in your pocket you're probably not horny. Right. Yeah. It also be... seems that it's like a professional right. lifestyle. Like people who have professional jobs don't have time to have kids. That's the same mm-hmm. thing with like the Modamily stuff. Mm-hmm. It seems to be mostly like professional, mm-hmm. well-off mm-hmm. people who are using it. Mm-hmm. But everyone in their circle is like not interested in having children because that's like just what like is the new normal for for like young professionals. Hmm. Hmm. Um, yeah, there's a quote from Dr. Horiguchi. If they're not interested in dating, the matchmaking would likely be ineffective. If we are to rely on technologies, affordable AI robots taking over household or childcare tasks that's may so be fun. more effective. Yeah. <laughs> Very Japanese that's, uh, yeah, anthropologist that's, take. Yeah. Um, yeah, again, like super, super interesting stuff. I don't know if you get away with this in the States, could you? Uh, like some sort of AI matchmaking service or something it will be it will come i don't here. know what's the information what's the information that people are, are that that is being used to create these matches is it uh voluntary people put in inf- put in their information their interests it's probably going to be like one that, of those then... things where it's just completely in the background like google news stories or whatever where you're just like walking along and then you get a notification it's like a push notification from your phone's like assistant and it's like you should call this girl up yeah i think you guys yeah 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 exactly I think you're. Uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting idea, but it just feels to me like mod- the Modamily thing 
it seems like a, a sort of not the right solution to what is maybe a, a real it's a problem. Complex, it sounds like it has a lot of complex causes. Counterpoint, what if the complex causes yeah. just not enough AI in people's personal lives? <laughs> maybe that's the solution. God damn that's, it, John. That, yeah, that's one approach, yeah. yeah. Um, but again, yeah, the bringing these, bringing AI, bringing technology, bringing apps into the mix in terms of people's uh, relationships and you know decisions to have children. I don't know. To me, it just seems kind of uh, like a yeah, bad road to go down. Yeah, apps are not going to help uh, anything. I don't think. Um, you know, like. I, I just think it will be very superficial. I don't think it's going to get... I don't think these are going to be like... Take deep chunks out of uh, society in a in a positive way, you know? I don't think that all of a sudden this is going to mm -hmm. like... Japan's birth rates are going to be like crazy. And we're going to have a whole <laughs> new population because of these AI things. I, I just yeah. don't see that. These seem like mm -hmm. um, technological band-aids to, uh, you know, an infrastructure. I always imagine like some sort of tower that is just covered in scaffolding and stuff like that and it's got like all sorts of band-aids on it and that's society and it's like hmm, Damn. what should we do mm -hmm. and then somebody's like well we just need a more technological band-aid right like the band-aids that we use aren't mm -hmm. good enough so then they like come up with some newfangled band-aid and slap it on this like scaffolding thing uh and that's that's the way i uh, mm -hmm. see the world um so yeah, Japan. Uh, I mean, a notoriously horny culture, but a horniculture. Uh, it, um, <laughs> it's like you can buy uh, panties and um, vending machines. You can uh, suck and fuck all you want over that country, and uh, yet nobody's having <laughs> nobody's having babies. So something's up over there. Um, it's it's an interesting problem, you know. We don't know the solution, but I, f I think my my intuition is that uh, th these types of ideas exactly. are not. And we'll update the story because I think what we should do is we should get to the bottom of it. And yeah. I think the way to do that is to fly yeah. over, go to Japan, and have a rum springer. Yes, in Japan, <laughs> I would love that. I would love to do that, yeah. John. Um, if you could organize that, uh, yeah, I'll I'll, I'll, I'll get you guys, back. On I'll get the, the itinerary. Uh, we'll back. We should go down to a travel agent. <laughs> we, you and I, no mask, go into a travel agency. <laughs> We're looking to have a Japanese rum springer. <laughs> yeah, have you heard about the Japanese birth rate? Like, what the fuck are you talking about? It's like the oldest lady in the world. Okay, uh, yeah, thank you, Japan. We love you. Hopefully uh, those two nuclear bombs that were dropped on you have nothing to do with this. Okay, um, <laughs> let's move on to a new segment, the treasure hunt of the week. So this is a very interesting treasure hunt. Um, the first treasure, <laughs> as they often are. I have to yeah. uh, admit, the first treasure hunt that I've thought about in a long time. Yeah. Um, but it is nonetheless our treasure hunt of the week uh, because you know there were no competing treasure hunts to talk mm -hmm. about. And unlike of many other treasure hunts, this one actually has an, an end. It's been found. Exactly. Yeah. So who among us can best describe this treasure hunt? Um, 
is anyone fully prepared to talk about Forrest Fenn and to sort of give an overview of this? No. So I will <laughs> say that I don't know who Forrest Fenn is, but he used to be the a man pilot in the um, who who is apparently named Forrest Fenn, which is two different kinds yeah, he, of uh, uh, natural uh, area land landscapes: a forest mm-hmm. and a fen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Go, carry on, Ron. I'm just going to keep yeah. interjecting. Um, so he, w- what I know of this man is he he uh, put a treasure underground. <laughs> And there's sort of the bare minimum for a million dollars. <laughs> I know, John. Uh, he put <laughs> one million dollars in a thing, a, a box, um, and he buried it. And he nobody knew where the fuck it was. Somewhere in the Rocky Mountains. Okay, so a decade ago, Forrest Fenn hid hid his treasure containing gold and other valuables, estimated to be at least one million dollars. Told you. Um, not long after, he published a memoir called The Thrill of the Chase, which included a mysterious 24-line poem that, if solved, would lead searchers to the treasure. Now, um, I thought this was interesting because I shared this podcast with my two lovely co-hosts, John Beedron and Devin Welsh, who are both, uh, I would say, very poetic men. Um, We're literate. Yeah, you're very literate. I'm I'm the least literate on the on the show, and um, I I, uh, I just thought that you know it kind of I'm essentially berating you guys a little bit. Um, I'm I just as poets, <laughs> I thought like maybe you would have known about this and we could have figured this out. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, it's like, great. Heard be, of it. We could be a lot. We wouldn't have to be doing this, is what I'm saying. Okay. <laughs> I just heard about this story, but um, the uh, the idea that somebody could write a memoir and then include a little poem at the end, um, and that poem sparks what became you know a huge thing where so many different people were obsessed with finding the forest yeah. fen treasure. Yeah, you know, like the the power of that poem to actually get people to you know to search far and wide across america for 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 a a hidden treasure like i feel like that's the best case of a poem it's beautiful yeah i think it's like it's so romantic well and 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 to your point ron it's sort of like uh the guy who ended up solving it was an english major Mm -hmm. he didn't know about the treasure hunt for like eight years and then in the last two years solved it. And it's it's very funny because he says that it was like, it sort of seems to be a problem made for an English major to solve because he just mm-hmm. did a close read of the poem. Mm-hmm. Um, meanwhile, yeah. for the last 10 years, like a ton of treasure hunters were trying to figure it out and they just couldn't do it. Yeah, so it seems and, that this is one case where a man of letters yes. is the proper man to solve. The exactly. Riddle. And that's why I brought both of you here today as two men of letters. Uh, Again, asking why you didn't read this specific poem, having spent all your time with other poems. Um, Now, it also seems that um, uh, it says here that at least five people have lost their lives in the process of searching for this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's absolutely nuts. So, you know, in kind of a way, Park Ranger blamed him for the deaths. This poem, this poem has also killed five people. Yeah. Yeah. This poem has a body count. (laughs) this is the most powerful poem in history well is it like tell me another poem that's killed five people and also led somebody to million dollars worth of 
rubies and sapphires gold. Uh, yeah maybe the only other poem with a bigger body count is the one that's inscribed at the bottom of the statue of liberty that promises a, a nice good respectful life here in america Ooh, that's very true nice. very metaphorical that's great yeah that's a that's a hot spicy take that was good <laughs> um, so yeah th this uh uh you know somebody somebody found it and i will say that uh the 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 somebody is a uh i i read that he, yeah he's a 32 year old medical student uh, he's, he's from, from Michigan, Michigan. Too, yeah. So mm -hmm. he's a Michigan guy. Yeah. Um, but th it, yeah, and and I guess that he was um, kept it under wraps. I guess he found it over the summer. Then Forrest Fenn died, and then um, I heard about that on the radio. That's where I first heard about this whole story. It was like Forrest Fenn died, and they're still looking for the treasure little did we know that it was already found mm -hmm. um so probably a few more people risked their lives maybe died in that process would have been nice if we would have known that it was found but whatever you know not as though uh everybody's again losing their life over this poem but um i think it's spectacular i don't know what you do with uh a, a chest full of treasures yeah you got to bury it and make cryptic clues that's really all you can do with those things but it's interesting the story this story also because it's not every day that you come across a story about a treasure hunt it's most often something you know in fiction and this story kind of illustrates the the sort of um unforeseen repercussions of a real treasure hunt mm -hmm. because this guy buried the treasure and and it led to forest fen being sued by a number of individuals mm -hmm. uh, during the course of the of the treasure hunt, he was uh, subject to a break in and mm -hmm. harassment from strangers at his home in Santa Fe, New Mexico. Basically, it was nothing but trouble for Forrest Fenn. And then the guy that found it, uh, when he did find the treasure, he didn't tell anyone that he had found it and came to Forrest Fenn with it. Because he was also concerned about, you know, the repercussions of being the one who found the treasure. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. Because so many people had been working so hard and, you know, people have lost their lives looking for this thing. And now you're the guy that finds it and ends the, ends all hope for everyone still looking for the treasure. So he, you know, he had to hide his name and then he, uh, the person who found the treasure only revealed his name when, um... Uh, when when a lawsuit was brought against him, uh, I, I'm not sure of the hunter. details, but essentially legally his name was going to come out, so he ha he revealed his name anyway. But he still doesn't reveal where he lives. He won't reveal where exactly he found the treasure um, because he's worried about tons of people turning it into some kind of shrine to Forest Fen and uh, just desecrating the area. It seems sort of implied that this is where Forrest Fenn is buried, too. It's right. I guess he started, I guess Forrest Fenn started it. He was like an art dealer in the Southwest region, and then he got cancer, and then he thought he was going to die. And so he mm -hmm. was like, wanted to, be, he, he buried treasure where he thought he was going to get buried. Mm -hmm. Wow. And then, Met. yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess that was like the secret to the, to the whole riddle, is just mm -hmm. trying to find where he wants to be. Imagine the poem is just like, behind a tree under the ground <laughs> three feet deep it's like not good at all it's just essentially yeah. like directions yeah. yeah 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 exactly yeah it took people 10 years and then one man with a ba in liberal yeah. arts solved it no but i do, I do actually have the uh, poem up here and um 
I I'm just looking it over. I don't know. Maybe uh, just for an example, uh, John, would you be able to read the uh, first? Is that a stanza? That's a quatrain. Okay. Would you be able to read the first quatrain just to show, just to give an idea of like what style of poem this is? Yeah. <clears throat> As I have gone alone in there and with my treasures bold, I can keep my secret where and hint of riches new and old. Okay. Yeah. My Begin favorite line where, is, Begin it where warm waters brown. <laughs> Begin it where warm waters halt oh. and take it in the canyon down, not far, but too, fa but too far to walk. Put in below the home of brown. I'll do, I'll do one. From there, it's no place for the meek. The end is ever drawing nigh. There'll be no paddle up your creek. Just heavy loads and water high. John? If you've been wise and found the blaze, look quickly down your quest to cease. But tarry scant with marvel gaze. Just take the chest and go in peace. Wow. So why is it that I must go and leave my trove for all to seek? The answers I already know. I've done it tired, and now I'm weak. So hear me all and listen good. Your effort will be worth the cold. If you are brave and in the wood, I give you title to the gold. So it's a, it's a good poem. I like I it. I think. Yeah. Okay. Um, I, it just it gives me no insight to where the fucking gold is. <laughs> below the home of brown, so you just got to find brown things in nature. Uh, right. Yeah. And then it's like, yeah, there's going to be some water. There's going to be a fire. Okay, so if you've been wise and found the blaze, that, that seems to insinuate that there's like a fire happening. Although I think it blaze might metaphor. have an alternate meaning as well. Oh, poetry. Yes, See, yes, this yes, is where yes. you need... I've yeah, got this like is where you most, need the, the literary analysis. I've yeah. got like a dense as fuck mind where I believe like everything is legit. When I first went up the CN Tower when I was a little kid, my parents were like, everybody's going to look like ants. And I got so upset because nobody looked like an ant. Because <laughs> I was like, well, they like, yeah, all of that kind of stuff. Okay. So to, this is a good, yeah. Yeah. Go I wanted to just like wrap this up or, or provide my kind of th thoughts on yeah, it. Please. Like the, the takeaway for me from the whole forest fen treasure hunt thing is that the the excitement is in the hunt rather than in the actual finding of the treasure because mm, nice. you know he he writes the poem the poem is beautiful it kind of sparks adventure and interest in all of these people in america and elsewhere to try to find this hidden treasure um you know that's the part that's exciting is is looking for it is trying to understand what, what the poem means and, and where to find the treasure and then once the treasure is found it's nothing but trouble. Um, yeah. You know, Forrest yeah. Fenn's getting sued. The guy that finds it's getting sued. Forrest Fenn dies. Death a count. Number, you know, a number of people die. Uh, it, it just, it, it's kind of, there's an anti-climax to the whole story, which is that once the yeah. treasure is found, it's not even about the treasure. Like the treasure itself is just a bunch of, yeah, precious stones, whatever, but it's barely mentioned and it's not really important. Yep what's in yeah. the treasure chest um but, so the, i think that's and i mean it's called the, the poem is the poem is called the thrill of the chase yeah. yeah exactly right right my takeaway has sort of been like where did he get all this gold and rare jewelry and ancient artifacts yeah you, <laughs> i'm kind of like forest. interested in where the hell forest fen maybe found some of this stuff and how he maybe <laughs> legally or illegally got his hands on them 
That's true. Yeah, there's a criminal yeah. uh, mystery element to it as well, well. Apparently, before the before the treasure hunt, I found this on Wikipedia. Fenn came into conflict with authorities over federal antiquities law. The FBI mm. raided his home in 2009 as part of an investigation into artifact looting in the Four Corners area. Items in his possession reportedly included pieces of chain mail, human hair, a feathered talisman, and a bison skull, some of which were confiscated by federal authorities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when you have the so. FBI knocking at your door and you've also hiding shit in the ground, is like Ooh. something's up. Yeah, but then I'd like to keep- imagine that this was his hottest like his hottest possess- items of possession and he buried them in the ground so he couldn't be caught red-handed. Yeah, and, and he's going to found it is going to get but Exactly. Keep, re- keep reading possession because 9/10th of the law. Keep reading because uh, some of the people that were involved in that FBI investigation uh, committed suicide. Oh, and yeah. Forrest Fenn blamed the FBI for their deaths. Holy shit. This is like this this fucking treasure. This treasure is, has a body count. Cursed. Yeah. Cursed. It's yeah, exactly. And I feel like maybe that's inherent in the nature of treasure hunts. Mm-hmm. Is that People there's, gotta die. there's a cursed aspect to it. There's a it, it unlocks something that's very noble about, you know, the human spirit as well as the sort of shadow side of that, which is yeah. The, the obsessive nature of people to to try to solve a mystery. And the cursed nature of, of treasure. It's sort of like a long extended metaphor for the quote unquote discovery of the new world. Right. Yeah. How do we uh, how do we do some sort of uh, cryptic? How do we leave like I want, essentially I want maybe you have to like listen to every single episode of the Blue Man Group. And once you do, there's like a few key words that you hear. Mm-hmm. And uh, there's um, there's something buried. Somewhere. We should bury our own treasure and have a Blue Men Group treasure. I agree. People I agree. have to go after. After I have a shovel. The more dangerous, the better. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Somewhere right, in guys. Michigan lies the treasure. <laughs> yeah, Will you seek in... its darkened pleasure? <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right, guys. Well. Thank you so much for uh, listening, and thanks for uh, helping me out here today, uh, Don, Don and Jevin, Jevin, De- uh, Devin and John. Yeah, it's good to Thank be here. You. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. and uh, we hope that you enjoy. Please like, rate, subscribe, all of that. Tell your friends. Please listen. All right. Bye. 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 This is the Blue Men Group. This is the Blue Men Group. This is the Blue Men Group. This is the blue man.